Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we are here for our Day 6 Rogers Cup episode. Well, she is the first Canadian woman to reach the singles final here since 1969, back when Faye Urban won the title 50 years ago. Bianca Andreescu continue, continuing her dream run in Toronto this week at Aviva Centre, this time beating American Sophia Kennan in straight sets. And uh, we're kind of running out of superlatives, Mike, to describe this ridiculous week that the native of Mississauga is having. We were so conservative when we talked earlier in the week about best case scenario for Bianca Andreescu, because clearly she's taken it about five steps further than that. You know, for me personally, I thought if she can get through the tournament healthy, what a big win that would be. If she could win one, two rounds, again, a positive step considering she's only played one match at the French Open in the past four months. And here she is going way beyond that quarterfinals, semifinals, now into the finals and absolutely thrilling this Toronto crowd here. And the, the thing about the match today against uh, Sophia Kennan, not that I would describe it as routine, but of all of her matches this week, it was the one that was the most straightforward, uh, being that it was a straight set victory. Although she did squander a 5-2 lead in the final set, made things kind of close with the multiple match points she was trying to close it out with. But otherwise, she just seems to be better, getting better as she goes along. And, and here she finds herself now in the finals, a dream final, not just against anybody on the other side of the draw, but against the greatest tennis player of all time, Serena Williams. It's uh, pretty amazing when I reflect on this podcast, actually, because our very first guest in episode one of Matchpoint Canada was Bianca Andreescu. And I remember asking her, is there any player she hasn't faced before that she would love to face? And who did she name? Of course, uh, the greatest Serena Williams. Don't they normally say that? Don't most players <laughs> normally true. say? I mean, <laughs> Kennan said, you know, when, when I got to speak with Sophia Kennan, Serena's the one that she looked up to. I mean, for so many of these players today, because of the age gap between Serena and and many on the tour, like the Kennans and the Andreescu's and, mm-hmm. and Boscovas, uh, of course, they grew up and Serena Williams was already, from their earliest conscious memories, Winning Grand Slams. Yeah, and uh, Serena Williams getting a 1-6-6-3-6-3 win over surprise qualifier uh, Marie Bozkova. We'll talk a little bit more about the Andrescu match uh, beating Kennan 6-4-7-6. You mentioned the second set. The first set uh, had interesting elements to it because it was for all Bianca Andrescu was serving in a pressure game there, and she was facing 15-40 on her serve, rallied and saved those two break points gets the 5-4 hold, and then breaks for the first set. I I felt that was a huge momentum swing, and Bianca played uh, some of the key points really, really well today. Yeah, the ability to just stay calm under pressure and continue to... I mean, some of those drop shots are just astounding. She made this one drop shot where her racket was up over her head going cross-court. It's like, I've never even thought of doing that with my tennis (laughs) racket, and that's why I never went anywhere in tennis. But it's just so impressive, the, the arsenal, the variety, and the ability not just to have it and to be willing to try it, but to be able to pull it off and execute it. I mean, Kennan tried drop shots at certain points. They just didn't land with the same ability that Bianca was able to do it. And uh, again, considering the time that she spent away from the game, to come back and have every little aspect starting to click for her and get to the finals, uh, it just it's it just blows my mind. Imagine if she hadn't, you know, been away from the game. What could she have done 
during that time? How much even better than this could she be right now? It's incredible to me how quickly she's rediscovered that Indian Wells and, and early season form. Yeah, and, and what's unbelievable as well, uh, when she was heading towards the clay court season, she had mentioned uh, clay being her favorite surface. If uh, hard court isn't her favorite surface <laughs> and she's producing these types of results, look out. Yeah, look out for 2020, what she will do on the clay. Uh, fingers crossed that she is healthy. Uh, we'll talk about that celebration because it was pretty extraordinary. She really let all the emotion out, uh, overcoming that difficult tiebreak against Kenning, collapsing on the court in tears. Really an unbelievable Canadian moment. And uh, we'll hear right now from Bianca Andreescu uh, describing what that moment meant for her in her press conference after the match. Well, a re- the reason why uh, I was really emotional was because of all the emotions I had during that tiebreaker. I think my body just wanted to let it all out. Um, and also because... It's just so incredible that I'm in the finals right now, Rogers Cup. I had zero expectations coming into this tournament. And just with all that I've been through the past couple of months have been so, 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 so tough. So just being able to be here right now is truly incredible. There you have it, Bianca Andreescu. You can see how much uh, this means to her. And and it's fascinating as well that uh, she thinks maybe this is the biggest result for her in her career, despite the fact that she did win Indian Wells. And obviously, so much of that has to do with doing it in your hometown. Such an emotional reaction today, which we haven't seen the emotional reaction from her other victories. She's had some great celebrations. There was the one where she put her hand up to her ear, you know, and and some really um, uh, excitable reactions on her face, obviously, in that moment. Today was the first time where it seemed like it it got the better of her in an emotional sense as it was really all hitting home that she's into the finals. And I would agree that this is bigger because back from an injury layoff, whereas Indian Wells, she had been building up with some big victories already against some great players and hitting her stride to come back from a, a cold start, a dead start like this. And, uh, and get to the finals of your home tournament with that added pressure as well. I mean, of all the events to come back at, and it has to be this one. So you put all that together, and, and definitely to me, I could see how she would feel that way about this result. Yeah, certainly, and it's doing huge things, of course, for her ranking, and I think the rest of the summer and fall will do just that uh, because she won't be defending any points. She will be entering the top 20 win or lose in the final, and if she wins the final, uh, she'll be heading inside the top 15 which is just staggering considering you have a player that has missed four months of the tour. Anytime she's been around, she's been winning, uh, which is stunning. Champion in Indian Wells, Newport Beach, finals in Auckland, and now finals of Rogers Cup. And one surprising element here is she she still doesn't quite see herself as a champion. I want to play another clip from her press conference. Uh, uh, but she says she is beginning to realize maybe just how good she is, just how far she can go. Yeah, I'm definitely surprising myself. Um, I don't realize the things I can do on the court. Uh, My coach is always telling me um, that I'm a champion within. Um, But I guess, I I don't know, maybe I am starting to realize that slowly. Um, But at this point, I don't want to take anything for granted. I mean, there's going to be weeks where you're going to lose um and right now i'm i'm doing pretty well so uh hopefully i can keep the momentum going for the rest of the season like that 
So there's Bianca Andreescu uh, realizing that perhaps there is a champion within. And uh, look, with the U.S. Open just a couple of weeks away after the Rogers Cup, regardless of whether she wins or not in the finals against Serena, you got to put Andreescu's name in there as a, as a potential favorite now based on her incredible hard court play this year. Yeah, I mean, if I'm I'm thinking of favorites for that event, and, and normally we are drawing not only from results kind of throughout the year, but results in the two big lead-up events. And I, I do think it'll be wise for Bianca to step away and not play Cincinnati. But uh, all things considered, uh, looking at the names probably in the top 10, Bianca isn't in the top 10, but uh, she's certainly in that conversation for contenders, probably along with Simona Halep, despite uh, exiting early here. Serena Williams, of course, is going to be a top contender at the U.S. Open. Then you wonder about names like Karolina Pliskova, who Bianca beat here, names like Petra Kvitova, who've missed time with injury. Uh, who's playing as well right now as Bianca? Right, you put her at the at the top of it. And I think, I mean, Halep is one that I would definitely have right up there. And, and I think that her withdrawal here from the Rogers Cup in Toronto was more precautionary yeah. than anything else. Uh, but definitely Bianca belongs there. And Bianca's got that advantage that a lot of these top players still have not faced her. Mm-hmm. As obviously against Serena Williams, this will be their first career meeting. And that gives you a decided edge. I mean, all the video in the world that these players can be watching to try and quickly get up to speed. It's not the same as having the chance to play someone uh, on the court. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, we will see what transpires in Cincinnati if we get a surprise winner there or someone we're used to. Uh, you know, that could potentially change our list. I think Naomi Osaka, she will reclaim the world number one uh, on Monday. She's certainly a contender and she will be defending her title there. We know what she's capable of in general, but especially on hard courts and how unbelievable she was last year. And uh, she seemed to elevate her tennis this week before uh, being ousted to Serena Williams. So she is certainly a, a contender there as well. Well, great fight from the American Sophia Kennan. Uh, that should not be understated that uh, she had an excellent tournament. She's had an excellent season. And at just 20 years old, I think she's another name that's going to be on our radar and, you know, one of these faces for years to come of the WTA. Two premier mandatory semifinals this season, a title in Mallorca, a title early on in the year at the Hobart International. She's had a fantastic season, and uh, you had the privilege of sitting down with her for a few minutes. Yeah, Kennan's week here in Toronto has been very impressive from the beginning when she had the tricky uh, Su Wei uh, and dispatched her in straight sets. Then she took out world number one. I mean, no longer world number one, but at the time, Ashley Barty. Uh, Yastremska, who's been playing well lately. Alina Svitolina, who had a four-love lead in the first set. And then even though she went down in straight sets to Andreas, uh, for the second time this year that she's been beaten by the Canadian. She still played very well and showed a lot of fight, especially in that second set to hang around and and force Bianca to go to her fifth match point to finally seal the deal. So I was able to sit down with uh, Kenan actually uh, the day before the match, but the audio still speaks about you know the great season that she's had, about what her impressions of potentially place, or facing uh, Bianca Andreescu for another time this season was like. And uh, so let's have a listen for a great young American player that's coming up uh, through the system right now. Sophia, thank you so much for joining us today. You've had such a big week already here in Toronto, among other results, beating world number one, uh, Ashley Barty. Uh, nice comeback against Alina Svitolina as well. What is it that's really clicking and working with your game right now? Um, I just feel like I've had a lot of good matches and a, re- a lot of good wins under my belt and it just gives me confidence and I feel like I'm playing with the best players in the world and I'm able to beat them which is I mean just gives me more confidence and 
is just gives me more motivation to keep, to keep going forward. 2019 has been a big year for you among some of the big accomplishments, beating Serena Williams, obviously, on clay. You've got a grass court title as well, uh, looking good on all surfaces. What's the highlight so far for you this year that really gave you a, a big boost in confidence? Um, I don't know. Like I feel like starting the year with a title, obviously, is always good to have. Um, all of my wins that I've had against those top players gives me, but I wouldn't say, like, uh, the boost, but I feel like against Serena's match, that was like the most memorable match. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of emotions there. And um, I was just really, just really happy to be on court and play against such a legend like her. And yeah, I mean, to win, I mean, obviously I don't cry after matches, but um, that was just so much emotions there. And yeah, after that, I just just keep going for which is good that's going to be a tough one to beat for a while maybe in terms of where it uh, sort of places on your list i guess yes that was obviously the one that i always wanted to play her so just to play her was obviously really special and an amazing feeling state of american tennis seems to be on the upswing on the rise again these days uh veterans but along with some up-and-coming players like yourself who did you idolize when you were growing up whether it was uh, an american or from some other country as, as a kid or teenager well i've always looked up to serena and maria sharapova I mean, Serena's got the serve. I mean, no one has the best serve than her. So I've always looked up to it and wanted to somehow try and make mine like a weapon. Obviously, not going to be like hers. <laughs> That's, but um, yeah. And Maria, just her fighting spirit, the way that she just fights and never gives up. And yeah, Serena never gives up as well. So both players have a huge talent, and I mean, they're just the best players. And I've always looked up to them. Playing here in Canada, what is it like being north of the border? How do you find the Canadian crowd? I mean, you played doubles with Jeannie Bouchard earlier this year, so that kind of makes you like an honorary Canadian, maybe. Uh, can you just talk about that that experience and, and playing here in, in Canada? Yeah, I mean, playing doubles with Jeannie is always fun. You know, we've had a great um, title in Auckland, so obviously it gave us um, just more people obviously know me, you know, but... Um, yeah, it's just great. I mean, her fans started to follow me and everything on Instagram and all my media accounts, so that's always good. And the Canadian crowd is great here, and they're supportive, and I just love playing in front of them. We don't know who your next match will be in the semifinals of the Roger Cup, Rogers Cup as we're sitting down to record right now, but... Uh, your thoughts on Bianca Andreescu, who's obviously now our Canadian number one. You're one of the few players that's played her more than once this season. What differences did you see in her game between those two matches? And how do you have to approach a, a tough match like, like this? Um, yeah, I mean, Bianca's having a great year. You know, she's on a roll, you know, playing some amazing tennis. And um, it's going to be a tough match. And um, she's where she is for a reason. And she's playing really well. But um, I'm just going to... Hopefully, just somehow prepare myself. I mean, if I play her and um, just try and just battle, battle out there, I mean, it's going to be a great semifinal match no matter who I play, and I'm going to leave everything on the court there. Well, thank you for joining us today, and all the best the rest of the season. Thank you so much. So there you have it, Sophia Kennan, who stopped by to uh, speak with me. And uh, obviously, she was still on a high from that victory over Serena Williams earlier in the season. One of the two players she mentioned to me that she really looked up to as a kid, uh, Serena, and the other being Maria Sharapova, for uh, their serving and their incredible fighting spirit and players that she wants to model her game after. I really think that, you know, her, Andreescu, could develop into a great rivalry. Yeah. They've already played each other three times this season. It's funny how some players seem to find each other more often than not. Uh, Kerber and, and Andreescu played each other a couple times early, too. Um, I'd really like to see, and we've talked about how cool it would be to have an American-Canadian rivalry on both the men and the women's side. 
and uh, it seems like this could be one where uh, you know they play each other pretty close. Yeah, I, I think it is certainly a blossoming rivalry, and uh, Andrescu winning two of three matches this season. Cannon a bit a bit of a different style. She's certainly a fighter. She she scraps away on the court, and you could see uh, she has that competitive spirit that uh, she was inspired from Serena and Maria Sharapova in that regard, obviously because. Today, she would not lay down. Uh, she saved five match points. She got a huge hold when she was serving at 5-6 to stay in that match. Well, that was like a 12-minute or 13-minute oh, game. Yeah, my, and you can imagine the pressure there because, you know, she's not just facing Bianca. You have a, an enormous packed crowd on center court of Aviva Center all pulling for the other players. So she was under a tremendous amount of pressure in that service game and came up with some big shots to force a tiebreak. And uh, I, I got a sense from the crowd that they were quite nervous that Cannon could snag that second set of... Four, force a third i was nervous watching for bianca because i mean okay we're canadian that's no secret yeah. and obviously we'd love to see a a final that gives you know the podcast and canadian tennis a continued boost and the fans here at the aviva center mm-hmm. in toronto i was getting nervous because andreescu's uh, footwork started to slow down in that second set and you could tell she was kind of reaching for more balls and you could tell she was getting tired too which is totally understandable yeah. given the amount of time she spent on court this year it had that vibe that it could turn the more of those match points that got saved by Kennan. so credit to Bianca for being able to pull that one out because I think a third set would have been uh, you know quite challenging yes you are listening to Matchpoint Canada you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can you can find us on Instagram Matchpoint Canada you can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and and find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Well, we got to preview the final before we move over to the men's side. Serena Williams against Bianca Andreescu. And uh, we had this discussion before we started recording. Who is the favorite in this match? It's so hard to tell. It's kind of like a 50-50, which it's remarkable. We're talking about a 23-time Grand Slam champion. And it feels like an even, you know, both ways going into the, the final because of the way Bianca's been playing and also the way that Serena's been playing. I mean, I was impressed with how Serena got her sort of revenge match against Osaka. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, earlier in the tournament, she admitted she looked sluggish. That's how it looked to me. Uh, a lot of sort of negative body language on the court, which, you know, isn't always new when things aren't going uh, well for her in certain points in games. Uh, and then Boskova tonight really took it to her in the first set, storming out to that 6-1 first set win. And it's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? Serena was able to correct course and get back on track. Um, but yeah, I put it fairly even. Uh, I hope it's a really good final. I hope it gives fans here, you know, something really positive that both players have enough left in, in the tank. I mean, Bianca said before she knew who the opponent was going to be, Whoever it is, I'll be ready. Watch out. Yeah. And she said it with a smile on her face. And that's sort of her her typical confident yet, you know, uh, self-depreciating kind of humor. Um, but she'll definitely be ready for Serena and look to raise her game for this big moment. I don't see it getting the better of her. No, I don't see it getting the better of her either. I I don't think she's going to be intimidated on court by Serena's pace or power at the same time. Uh, She's probably, well, she's never seen a serve like this. Uh, This is going to be brand new. Uh, She did face Pliskova, which maybe helps, and she read that serve very well, but Serena's serve is is a different beast, the greatest serve of all time in women's tennis for sure. Uh, We'll see how she responds to the power of Serena's ball from the baseline, if she can counter that. And I'm curious to see how Williams handles 
Bianca's variety. She won't have faced a player at all like her in this tournament. It's going to be different getting, you know, forehand slices, dealing with drop shots. Uh, Serena's kind of physical conditioning will be tested. And it, and it hasn't really been tested that much this tournament. Even this match with Boskova, it was three sets, but it didn't actually extend for very long. Pretty quick points. So there are a lot of elements at play. Uh, my question with Bianca is, you know, she has spent over 11 hours on court this week. Mm-hmm. If she can handle herself physically, and mentally uh, for the final uh, to really contest Serena and give herself a chance. But tactically speaking, I think Bianca's got the game that could cause Serena the most difficulty. You wonder why other opponents don't try and exploit the fact that Serena is not moving as quickly as she once did. That's true. Uh, and I think if anyone's going to be able to do that, then it's it's Bianca on Sunday. So from a tournament organizer's perspective, Carl Hale must have a permanent <laughs> grin ear to ear. Oh, yes. The greatest player of all time against the up and coming, the number one Canadian who we're all so excited for and for good reason. This is it. And, you know, I mean, if the stands are not packed tomorrow, if Toronto is not sold out tomorrow, uh, I would be shocked because that would be a, a, a real disappointment given what we've been, you know, what we have put in front of us here. Yeah, it, it's going to be an absolutely packed house and they're going to be completely rocking. They're going to love both players, but uh, they're going to be pulling for uh, the Canadian Bianca Andrescu. We got to get our media seats early tomorrow so someone else doesn't snag. Yes, yes, we do. We got to be here bright and early. We will go over to the men's side and it's an interesting final because it's two players who have never faced one another. No surprise, Rafael Nadal is the top seed, is into the final and didn't have to play a point for his semifinal match. Match, as uh, Gael Monfils was forced to withdraw. He had a tough three-set win over Roberto Bautista Gut, but uh, those two players were pushed back a full day because uh, the Rangers wouldn't stop in Montreal. So uh, by the time Monfils and Roberto, Roberto Bautista Gut got back on court, it was three in the afternoon, actually 3.30 when they were really starting this match. Then it goes three sets. You don't finish the match until about 6 o'clock, and then you're trying to ask Mofis to turn around and get out there at 8.30 and play Rafael Nadal. Unfortunately, kind of bad optics for uh, for the tournament, and it would probably reinforce the idea that maybe Montreal does need uh, a roof over center court. Bring in the roof. I mean, you could say that about any tournament, I suppose, that gets hit with rain in the late stages like this where it's going to throw off the schedule, but... It sucks. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I feel really bad for for Monfils, especially a guy who's had so many injury concerns over his career. He's not going to put himself in a bad position where he could hurt himself. And if he felt anything sort of nagging or just the slightest bit, I mean, you've got the U.S. Open coming up so soon. Monfils isn't getting any younger. He doesn't want to miss out on a chance at a slam when he's had a, a very solid season. So mm-hmm. it uh, it would have been a huge advantage if they had played the match for Nadal. Now Nadal has an even bigger advantage that he's got the benefit of even more rest before he goes in to play Medvedev, a guy who's been on the court a ton lately between making the finals in D.C. and now again at the uh, Coop Rogers. So... Um, you know, are they trying to give Nadal every possible advantage? <laughs> I don't here? think he's a player who needs any advantages, especially when he plays at Rogers Cup, whether it's Montreal, Toronto. It's been, you know, one of, if not his best hardcore tournament in his career. He's won it four times, aiming for a fifth. Uh, Medvedev brings a lot of interesting intangibles to the table, though, which are going to be fascinating. He's 25 and 7 on hard courts this season, which is terrific. Uh, he gave, I, I think back to the Australian Open, he gave Djokovic fits 
in their lengthy four-setter at the Australian Open. Obviously, Novak went on to win the tournament, but uh, he's kind of a pest out there. Uh, he doesn't hit with that much spin. His back end is, is really hard to read and to deal with, kind of a flat low ball. He's going to be a different player than what Nadal is used to. And if he can disrupt Nadal's rhythm, Nadal loves to have rhythm and flow to, to his game style. Maybe he can, he can give him problems. And uh, as well, they haven't faced each other before. I think if that's advantageous to anybody, maybe it's Medvedev. Yeah, Nadal has just been so good in Canada and so good in Montreal. I, I saw him in 2005. I didn't see the final against Agassi, but I'd mm. been there for most of the turn up the lead, the tournament the lead up to the final. And I mean that's 14 years ago and here he is still and the defending champion from winning in Toronto last year, uh overwhelming edge to Nadal in my mind, but as you mentioned first career meeting so you don't know exactly what to expect between the two of them. Uh whereas if it had been a Nadal versus uh Hachinov final, we would have a very good idea that we'd be in for probably quite a battle given their U.S. Open match last summer and their match in Toronto, which also went something like two and a half hours. Yeah, uh, he's had very competitive matches in the past with with Hachinov, uh, but Medvedev is the one who uh, wins the all-Russian battle in that semifinal and is now in the finals. Fascinating if you look back to the highlights of uh, Rafa in that 2005 final I don't so want to young. say I don't want to say completely different player, but so young, and he was lightning quick, like the fastest player I think t- uh, tennis had really ever seen at that time. Agassi didn't know what he was up against. It was and pretty, the, and the pirate pants. And the cutoff oh, shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, the khakis right. and the long hair, the flow as well. That was a three-set final, but that, that was, was definitely yeah. a big ask for Nadal, to, that, or sorry, for, for Agassi to be able to... Yeah, and that was a bit of a... That was in a way a change... Well, obviously, Federer was fantastic then, but somewhat of a changing of the guard was kind of existing Absolutely. at that time. Um before we uh, move on, we should mention a couple other Canadians because Gabby Dabrowski was competing in a semifinal action in doubles with Julie Zhu. Uh, I did watch their uh, match, quarterfinal match, actually, against uh, Annette Kontavite uh, and Timia Babosh. They played well there and, and won in that 10-point tiebreaker, but they have lost in the semifinals. And it didn't go well. It was 6-love, six 6-3 six for the uh, opponents, unfortunately, for Dabrowski, who would have, I'm sure, definitely uh, rather played uh, a better performance performance in front of the uh, the crowd here in Ontario. Um, for Denis Shapovalov, I mean, we don't really consider him a, a doubles player really by any stretch. No. Um, and they went down in a couple of tie breaks in Montreal. I think for, for Denis, really, that was like a bonus making yeah. the semis, whereas for Gabby, I think she'll be disappointed with the way that the, the match played out. Uh, Dennis probably, I would imagine, just enjoyed having a few more matches in front of that Montreal crowd yes. that fell in love with them a couple of summers ago. But no Canadian doubles uh, in the finals, but we've got Bianca. And in terms of finals between Montreal and Toronto, both are pretty epic. Both are, are wonderful finals to go to. In Montreal, you've got a veteran against a younger player, yep. say, you know, one of the greats, Nadal, of all time. Same thing here in Toronto. Great legend like Serena Williams against an up-and-coming and a Canadian. So we're blessed with these two finals. doesn't always turn out that way. You don't always get the dream final or the final with two players that you know fans are really going to be into. God knows we've seen some interesting ones over the years in Canada going back um, to the you know 80s, 90s, early 2000s, where it was kind of a mixed bag, especially amongst the men. 
Yes, uh, we have certainly seen some uh, unusual finals in the past. I think back to uh, 2002, actually. Uh, Andy Roddick did make the final, and that's a staple name. Great American, and he was fantastic, actually, early 2000s as well, when he uh, picked up his lone U.S. Open title. But uh, who defeated him in 2002, kind of out of nowhere? He had a good career. Guillermo Cañas was not anticipated to really make a run anywhere at that time, and just had this remarkable tournament, picking up wins over uh, Walt Roddick in the final. He beat Safin along the way. He beat, he beat Roger Federer, Federer which I is was... amazing. Uh, Federer wasn't at his peak then in 2002, but he was still a great player. He also beat uh, Evgeny Kafalnikov, the Russian who uh, also won multiple Grand Slams. So That's quite just a mix this, of players. Yeah, just this kind of out-of-nowhere Masters 1000 title for Kanyas, the only Masters uh, 1000 of his career, and the ultimate kind of surprise run on the men's side uh, years ago. I was at that one in 2002 this is still a few years before I got into uh, journalism but I was at that match with my dad and when Kanyas won we kind of looked at each other we're like what just happened we heard so much (laughs) hype about Federer there was so much you know he hadn't won a slam yet or anything but still it was quite uh, shocking in that sense and and Kanyas actually played Federer well over the years he got a couple other wins uh, over him back-to-back wins actually I want to say like Indian Wells Miami Mm -hmm. you know a few years after this one so just one of those players that gave Federer some fits Um, if I think back even earlier uh, the first Rogers Cup final I ever attended was in 1993 Uh, I was much younger then uh, still a kid and uh, that was Michael Pernforce who won against Todd Martin and Talk about two players you don't expect to get to the the late stages of an event like that. I mean, Todd Martin had his moments for sure, but you'd think more, well, where are the Agassiz, the Sampras's? And, you know, players were not mandated uh, to play these events back then, so they could be much more liberal with their scheduling and decide... No, we're not coming this time around. Whereas today, unless you're a Federer, a Djokovic, who, you know, according to the rules, you've put in enough years and whatnot to be able to have that that decision to make. Back then, you could show up or not show up, and that was your choice. And so you'd get some much weaker draws. Yeah. Fans are really fortunate nowadays that even in Montreal, though you're missing two of the top big three, all the other guys are there. And here in Toronto, as we've mentioned throughout the week, we've been super fortunate to have the the field that we've we've got with the WTA this year. Yeah, it's been an incredible field in Toronto. Uh, it's certainly one of the best. Even you look at the early wild cards, despite their exits. I mean, Maria Sharapova played an awesome match that opening night against Annette Kontavite. That was uh, fantastic. I think we started with 37 of the top 40 players. So you really, really can't complain. We kind of saw just about everybody, which was great. Uh, and it's been been a wonderful tournament that's going to finish with this blockbuster final Serena against Bianca you know we couldn't have asked for anything more we're almost there we're almost at the finish line we've done six Rogers Cup podcasts this week and and hopefully you've been tuning in and have heard some of the great interviews that we've had we've had a blast it's been amazing yeah. um, tomorrow we're gonna have fun recapping after the final and uh, and talking about the great week we've had maybe kind of looking at some of our most memorable matches and moments that we've witnessed here in Toronto so Definitely check back with us for one more here at the Rogers Cup. Yep. And uh, it should be a, a great recap regardless of who wins in Montreal and here in Toronto. Absolutely. We will talk to you next time on Matchpoint Canada.